You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Alrighty, so this morning, as you may have guessed, we're talking a little bit about money. This is week two, and a couple confessions just right up front before we get into the real meat of, of our time together. No pastor loves talking about money, okay? And I'm just going to be open and honest about it with you. Pastors don't like preaching about money because of a lot of reasons, and I'm just going to name a couple for me personally. One, because like it feels self-interesting, okay? Because whenever pastors talk about money, our paycheck is tied to the bottom line. Okay, and so just to name it, it feels awkward to stand up here and go, well, man, if you guys would give more, then we could get that car, right? That's not what we're doing. That's why pastors don't like talking about money, is it sometimes seems self-interesting. And I just want to let you know that's not the case with me. Uh, we're well taken care of. Our staff is well taken care of. We're a generous church. The other reason that why pastors don't want to talk about money, and this is actually probably more true for who I am and who we are is like it not only does it feel self-interesting you also put yourself in this position of feeling a little bit like a hypocrite I don't know anybody that manages their money perfectly I don't and Mandy and I have practices in our life we try and put our financial picture under what the word of the Lord says and take our cue from God's word on this but it is like almost inviting a little bit of like introspection and and like you feel like you're living in a fishbowl um, and so pastors don't like talking about it because, man, we just feel like hypocrites. We feel like hypocrites a lot, in case you don't know that, because anytime you preach about something, people are like, well, you're not the perfect parent. Don't lecture me on parenting. And we go, okay, cool, we're not. But I think another thing is, if, if taken in the wrong light, it feels like, like whipping the sled dogs or the horses, where it's like, why don't you give more? Why don't we do this? You know, and I just want you to hear this one from me as your, as your pastor. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a financial counselor. I am unbelievably proud of our church. I think pride in, in the right way. That when I look at our church and, and I, I get the sense of, of how we have tried to orient our church body toward generosity, guys, it's just been an amazing place to be in these last couple of years to see God's provision over his resources. And so we're starting with a couple assumptions and then um, we're going to get into where we're going to go. First off, whenever we talk about money, no money is your money. All money is God's money. All resources are God's resources. Your house, your car, everything that you have, none of it's ours. It's all on loan from God. And so this really isn't about money. This is about stewardship. I want to let you know that. That's a big thing we just need to hit up front. The second thing that we need to hit up front is whenever we talk about these kind of issues, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And when we get into Proverbs here in just a little bit, what I want you to pay attention to is what God wants for you. His word says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It even says in the New Testament that if he needed anything from you, he wouldn't ask. And so what I love about that is that this is actually more about our hearts and freeing our hearts around these issues. So 
With that, um, as you may have detected, there are two stools up here. We're going to do a little bit of an interview uh, today, and um, I think also that way you're going to get a little bit more insight um, from somebody that has a lot more wisdom around this issue than I do, to be honest with you. And so if you would, uh, welcome Eric Schroll. Eric's going to come on up here. Sweet. So... um, Eric, uh, he is a financial advisor, but beyond that, the most important thing about about Eric is it relates to our church, whether you're here in the room or watching online. Eric and his wife, Shelly, have been members here at the North Canton Chapel for a long time, very well uh, connected. They've served in areas in our church. Eric served as chair of our elder board and as part of our elder board in seasons past. And so as we talk through some of this stuff today, my hope is that we get a, a kind of a joint perspective of What does God's word say? We're going to look at some Proverbs about that. But I think Eric is also going to offer some insight that I think you're going to be very encouraged by. And hopefully this just equips you uh, to move forward in in just some basic good financial practices. And so we're going to do kind of three parts this morning. Just want to let you know where we're going. Um, Part one, we're going to take a look at four principles about money from the book of Proverbs. Then we're going to clear up some misconceptions about finances, especially as it relates to kind of our American dream look at things. And then we're going to wrap up with just really six very basic practices that you can put in your life um, if you want to bring this area in your life under God's control a little bit more. So that's kind of where we're headed. So Eric, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. That's a tall order. Let's go. It's going to be fun. So, (laughs) all right. So principle number one, for those of you who are taking notes, here you go. Four biblical principles. Principle number one, money is never about money. I'm going to start here. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is from Proverbs 4.23. It says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. So we've said this a couple of weeks ago when we started. This is going to be kind of a common thread through this series in Proverbs, but I want to say it again. When we're talking about money, this isn't something that I want from you. This is something we want for you. And God's Word says, Watch over your heart. For from your heart flow the wellsprings of life. God wants us to be free. He doesn't want us to be worried or constrained or shackled into these things. And this sounds so much like Jesus in in Matthew chapter 6, where he does say, like, you can serve either God or money. Which one is it going to be? And I love Jesus' words in that because when Jesus talks about that in Matthew 6, I get the sense that Jesus doesn't want to kill my heart. He wants to redirect my heart. And so, Eric, how have Amen. you seen this conversation Amen. about money from, from your perspective and in your life? It's yeah. not really about money, is it? Money is never about money. I would say whenever I uh, listen to people and arguments, disagreements, tensions they have about money, it's usually more about power. It's hmm. about control. could be about insecurities. could be jealousies. Uh, not having priorities the same, and sometimes not feeling loved. And money just seems to be this thing that we put the, uh, the blame on or the attention on, but there's usually a much more deeper heart issue like you're pointing to. So, yeah, money is usually not about money. And you, so you suggest you're seeing this in marriage. It's also true just in our personal lives that, that a lot of times we'll attack this thing on the surface because it's masking something that's kind of lurking underneath. Absolutely, absolutely. So that goes right to principle number two for us this morning. Principle number two, money reveals your heart. Money reveals your heart. And for this, I want to direct us to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. We'll spend a little more time on this verse. Proverbs 11, 28. Here's here's what it says. 
Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So if you can remember a couple of weeks ago, we took a look at different kinds of proverbs. There's like compare proverbs. This is definitely a contrast proverb. It says you've got this on one hand, but this on the other hand. And the, the real power of this proverb, Proverbs eleven twenty eight, is in that word trusts. He who trusts in his riches will fall. Now you think, like when you hear that word trust, you might think, well, that's like, is this somebody who like hangs on this, puts their weight on it, or, or looks to this like they're counting on this? But the word in Hebrew um, is actually much more robust than that. The word in Hebrew, whoever trusts, it means where I run for refuge. Where I run for refuge. It's this wonderful, beautiful word in Hebrew. And it has, it has this idea that all of life is imploding around you, that, that you're in a hostile place, that, that you're under attack, that things are not going well. What you trust is where you run to for refuge. And he's saying, look, if you run to refuge to your 401k, if you run to your bank account, if you're like, oh, I got to get that new job because I need this thing, if that's where you run to refuge, God's word says that's not going to work. And then there's this other one that Solomon says is, but, 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 the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Did you catch that? The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. In the ancient world, that was a symbol of prosperity and flourishing. And so while this one over here who's running to their money to bring security, their life is imploding, this one over here who says, I'm not, I'm not going to make my life about money, that's a little bit better because all of a sudden they are, they're flourishing. And so here's Solomon, the richest man in the ancient world, sitting on the comfiest couch imaginable in the best decorated living room you could imagine. This is the guy that takes his whole family to Disney three times a year, never looks at the menu prices. Solomon does not have to worry about money. And he is the one going, yeah, but I don't trust in that. I don't trust in that. This can't shelter me, right? And so what's interesting about that to me, though, and I want to hear from you on this one, Eric. So it doesn't feel that way because if I'm having a bad day, it feels really good to buy something. Like re retail therapy is a thing, right? And so Absolutely my Amazon wish is. list is like a dozen plus deep right now. What, so why do we have to guard ourselves against this? What is, why is that such a bad thing? What is this, what's going on there? I think part of it is we hear this message on a Sunday morning. We hear the message from money and what money can do for you the rest of the week, right? The rest of Sunday and all through the week, we get bombarded with that. So we run to what we hear most oftentimes. Um, but it, it just, you know, I, I like the old adage, you know, you can tell me verbally what's most important to you, but if I would see where you spend your time, your money, that will tell me what's most important to you. And if you're trusting in riches, it will show in how you spend or uh, allocate your money to different things. And really, you know, it's one thing to say don't trust in riches, but you need to give the alternative then. So where is my trust? And it's in the righteousness of our God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ. So rather than trust riches, move that trust and move it into Christ. I love that. I love that. And so uh, the reason I love that perspective so much is this is less about money conversation, and it's more about gospel conversation. Absolutely. Like, where is my heart, really? What am I going after? 
Um, all right, so principle number three, and you're going to feel us kind of digging in a little bit further here. Principle number three, debt limits you. Debt limits you. And for this, I want to take you to Proverbs 20, 22, verse 7. It says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Leave this one up here for a few minutes, because I want to take a look at it. We talked about different kinds of Proverbs in the last couple of weeks, and maybe as you've been reading through Proverbs, you've found some of them. There's comparison Proverbs, where this is like this, or as this. There's, um, there's contrast Proverbs, which is the one we just looked at, this, but, this. There's consequence Proverbs, which like this leads to this. This is a different kind of proverb, and this is kind of actually one of my favorite Proverbs. This is just a statement of fact. This is Solomon just going, hey, I'm not trying to prove a point. I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm not trying to grind an ax with you. This is Solomon just saying, look, here's the way things are. Debt limits you. The borrower is slave to the lender. It's just the way it is. Trust me, Solomon says. He's not coming in and going, debt is evil, debt is wrong. How dare you ever do that? He doesn't say that. What he's saying is, hey, just so you realize, when you go into debt, Somebody else owns a part of your life, and it feels that way. So let's contextualize this for us. In our world, there are borrowers and there are lenders. There's people who don't have money and people who do. And this is up for debate, but I I see this a lot as a pastor. I have to wonder if the reason why we see so much rise in anxiety, so much rise in just tension and and breakdown personally and in marriage has to do with this idea that we are so, so deep in debt as a culture. And I'm not sure where you are personally, but the average car payment right now in America, um, I was doing some research kind of prep for this. The average car payment, this is average, is $554 a month. That's average, okay? And so now that's neither good nor bad. That just says that's a limiting factor on what you can do. And it sounds like this. It sounds, man, I wish I could do this, but I can't because my money's going over here. I wish I could. Wouldn't it be great if we could, but we can't because we're going over here. God may be calling you to be generous, but we can't because we're shackled, right? Think about what it meant for this group of people. These are Jewish people. What image of slavery comes to mind when you start talking about Jewish people? Egypt. These are people who, who God had let loose. And so when you go into debt on anything, it's just putting the shackles back on a little bit and going, okay, there's, there's part of me that's owned by somebody else. And so debt limits what you can say yes to. And that's what's really tough. So how have you seen that, Eric, in your world? So what it makes me think of is this idea of being debt-free has been put up on this lofty pedestal. And you'll hear, like in Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, get debt-free, cut up the credit cards. And so sometimes I'll, I'll meet with a couple and I'll say, what are your financial goals? Do you have any goals? Well, we want to become debt-free. Okay. But I always follow it up with the why. Why do you want to be debt-free? And many of them kind of get startled by that question, like, are you suggesting debt-free is not a good Because it's just like, thing? well, that's what we're right, supposed That's what to they've do. been preached. Get debt-free, get debt-free. But I wanted them to answer the question, what is it that you long to do today that you can't because you're in debt. Mm. And if you can answer that question, now you've got the why. Because see, being debt-free in my mind is not the goal. It's a means to an end. It's the strategy. It gets us to the why. I wanna, I wanna stop there because I wanna make sure we're tracking on the same page here. Debt-free is not the goal. 
In my mind, no. It's, it's a, a strategy. strategy to a goal. Correct. So hit but we again. lose sight of that because we get preached to so much, be debt free. We think that's the goal, and I think we're getting misinformed. Being debt free frees you up yes. to go do, and, and that's where you have to use the power of the Holy Spirit and discernment. What is it that you feel called to do that you can't do because you're in debt today? So debt free is just a means to an end. I think that's refreshing because it, it, it opens the end of this and says, Lord, what would you have for me? What do you have for me? That, that this is really a, a prayer posture. What we said in this series, we're going to hit it again this morning, is this is about spiritual formation. This is not just about life management. How do I get through it? There's more at stake here. So principle number four, and with this, we're going to wrap up the big principles and then move a little closer. This one's my favorite one, is money is not worth your life. And I'm going to take you to uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4, and uh, well, we'll just take a look at 4 and 5 probably. Here's what it says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And then 5 says this. When your eyes light on it, or when, it, when you see it, when you finally get it, it's gone. Suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. This is one of my favorite Proverbs because it just kicks the American dream square between the eyes. <laughs> and it goes, don't work to acquire wealth. Like, that sounds so un-American. We're supposed to do this, right? Like, work, 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 We work, pride work. ourselves on hard work. Right? Yeah. That's what we look at. And the other side of it, I mean, is like the cynic goes, well, it's easier for you to say, Solomon. Like, sitting on your couch, you know, the rest of us are sitting here kind of doing our thing. But what I love about this is, is how true it is, because he, it, it, when you think about life, life doesn't work like this. You don't get to go, well, I'm going to work, 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 and then when I'm able to retire, I'm going to take all that money, and I'm going to buy my life back. Doesn't work like that. And so Solomon is basically cautioning us and going, wait, 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 be wise enough to know when to desist. How much do you need? Come on. What are we chasing? Like, you only get one life and, and, and make it count. How have you seen this show up, Eric? Yeah, I would liken this. I, I would like to personify money for a second. It's like money screams and yells at us, hey, you want to be happy? Pursue more of me. You want more of me. Do you want more? And you could fill in the blank with a number of things. Do you want more power? Do you want more friends, comfort, happiness, influence? And money says, I'm your answer. You want more of me, and I can deliver to that. And the danger is, is that we then enslave ourselves to getting more and more and more. And like the proverb says, it's fleeting. And see, money makes promises it cannot keep. And it breaks those promises regularly. It's like any other addiction, really. It'll pacify for the moment but it does not provide anything satisfying over the long haul. So it promises what it can't deliver. And for that reason, like the proverb says, don't allow money to become your master. I love that. That's super beautiful. Super hard to do, all right? So let's, let's turn the corner a little bit. We're going to kind of get into part two of where I want to head this morning. I'm just going to some open-ended questions. And um, these, these principles, they're just going to kind of guide us and shape us into where we want to go. I want to just spend some time clearing up some, some misconceptions. Um, and this is really hard because I think a lot of us, it's almost like, does the goldfish know it's wet? <laughs> right? We're, we're in a culture, like you said, that, that feeds us something. And we become almost like a sponge where we soak it up. And then before we realize it, like, oh, man, that, that way of thinking is inside of me. And so um, 
we've obviously talked a lot about this. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, like, we're actually twinning this morning. Did you catch this? <laughs> totally not, not coordinated. Like, down to the shoes, man. It's, it's pretty cool. So a lot of this stuff Eric and I think a lot about, and a lot of it um, you've coached me in, and, and I think that's just been a great part of our relationship. But um, let me ask you this question. So where could the American dream, um, this idea of you know, chasing and chasing, where could this actually be unbiblical? It's a great question to ask, and I would say the American dream is this concept that everyone in America has an opportunity to become prosperous and successful. And it's most often achieved through hard work. So it plants the idea that you too can be prosperous and successful. There's an implied assumption in there, though, that wealth will be the standard of measurement, right? So how do you know if you've achieved the American dream? Well, do you own a house? Do you have a good paying job? Do you have two cars in the garage, two dogs in the yard, right? That kind of picture. And uh, if you're not wealthy, then we get this idea that we're not only not prosperous, prosperous, but we're certainly not successful. Those are powerful messages that we're receiving every day. And yet those messages are simply not in line with Scripture. I don't have to be successful, regardless of the definition, in the world's eyes. Christ loves me, did the work on the cross for me. I don't have to earn his favor. In fact, I cannot earn his favor. So what would God rather us pursue? It's in that proverb, but I like it like this. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice there's no mention of money in that equation. No amount of wealth. Um, so the problem I have with the American dream for Christians, Christ followers, is I think it distracts us from eternal purposes and rewards. Well, that's, I think the danger in a place like this, too, and, and I've been guilty of thinking this sometimes as a pastor and as a Christian, is we sometimes almost unconsciously slip into this place where we just drop a Christian halo over the American dream and go like, well, make all you can, stay out of debt, and, and give to your church and, and do that. But that's not even, that's not the deal because it never addresses my heart. Exactly. It's just all my... It's all behaviors. It's all my behavior. Yep. And I think that's, that's something I want us to think about as you are walking through this journey called life is the world looks at the outside, right? Man looks at the outside. What does God look at? Heart. heart. And so we're living in, we live in a culture that says, well, you have to be successful and these are the metrics. And a lot of us have just bought that kind of hook, line, and sinker. And so... Not only is the American dream unbiblical, like it's, it's, it's counterproductive sometimes to walking with Jesus. And so um, another, this is just a, a, a question. I know we think alike on this one, so, but I, I need you to expound on it. Is, is building wealth the goal for Christians? It's easy to think so because there's pastors that preach prosperity, the gospel, right? There's Financial Peace University. If you take that course, uh, I'm not trying to denigrate it, but you're going to hear phrases like, if you want to be rich then do what rich people do. If you want to be a millionaire, you, you constantly hear this message. So it's really easy to think that good financial stewardship means that you're going to acquire wealth. And I think that, again, is not in line with scriptures. Um, no, no one said it better than Christ. Store up treasures where? In heaven, right? Um, is it wrong to be wealthy? I don't think so. I mean, let's just go through the Bible for a second. We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, Boaz, King David, Solomon, Zacchaeus, Matthew, Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia, Dorcas. In the Bible, these are all people who are ridiculously wealthy. 
And God makes very clear he loves them a lot. So being wealthy, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's also not feel like we have to be wealthy to earn God's love. Because if you, read, if you ever read the Bible through in a year and you're just kind of flying through, one of the things you're going to see over and over, especially in the Old Testament, and then it does carry into the New Testament, is God says, take care of the poor, the widow, the fatherless or orphan, the foreigner. Over and over. And basically God's message is these people are very precious to me. They ought to be precious to you as well. God loves us whether we're wealthy or poor or somewhere in the middle. So building wealth should not be our goal. Yeah, I love that. So let's, let's reverse the flow of the river. If, if we live in a culture where everything's supposed to flow to me, right? The attention flows to me. The promotion flows to me. Like, it's just one big ego trip for, you know, however many years. Let's reverse the flow of the river. Why is generosity so important? Why is reversing the flow of the river and saying, okay, let's, let's point this in another direction? Why is that so important for believers? I'm going to go back a few years where you and I had one of our first conversations on money, and I said, Brandon, if you're going to talk about money, you got to check your motivation. And it's a lot of what he introed with. A lot of churches, when they see offerings are down below budget, that's when the pastor's expected to teach on money. We all get the message, you better cough up some money, right? Check your motivation. If your motivation, talking about money from the pulpit, is to increase offerings at the church, we're probably best keeping our mouths shut. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, you said it so well, teaching about money is not because we want something from you, we want something for you. And where you're gonna get that is when you start practicing generosity. Um, uh, if you want to be free from the power of money, generosity is one of the key things that you can do to break that power. If you really cherish something, you're going to hold on to it, you're going to take care of it, you're going to protect it. But if something doesn't mean all that much to you, you're actually willing to give it away. Rarely do we ever give something away that we really cherish. And so when you give away money, you're actually telling money, I don't care that much about you. And that has an amazing freeing power to you. Um, some of the most joy-filled lives in our world today are being experienced by people who are very generous. I want you to practice generosity. I think it's a great reflection of Christ because he was very generous. But I want for you to experience that joy-filled life. I love that. And it, it's a pivot point. Wealth building is all about coming to me. Generosity turns it and says, no, life is best experienced when it flows out. All right. So if somebody is here this morning and like this is the first time we've talked about it, like they want to be generous. What advice would you have for them? First thing is, if you're not giving at all, just start. It's the old Nike adage. Just do it. Give something, right? Give something. And uh, if you're giving some, but not a lot, stretch yourself. Try to give a little bit more. Um, muscles get strengthened when you use them. Same with generosity. Start giving. Second, I really encourage you to identify someone in your life that you know that you would consider them to be a generous person and start spending time with them. Another proverb is, you know, we become like the people we spend time with. So find generous people, spend time with them. And then when you spend time with them, ask them some questions like, why are you so generous? How did you learn to become generous? Have you always been generous? 
That's a fascinating question because a lot of people have had a turning point in their life sometime. And it's really key to dial in at what point, what convinced you that being generosity is actually good for you. If you are a giver and you have surplus income, I think another step in your life would be to really start making plans and see if there's ways that you can be more tax efficient. The more tax efficient you are with your giving, the more dollars you can actually steer towards kingdom work. Lastly, I would just drop this tidbit. We don't have time to delve into it, but if you make the decision, I want to give, that's really only one decision. There's two more very important ones that follow. The next one is to whom am I going to give? You can learn a lot from generous people on that. And two, how much am I to give? So deciding to give is just one part of that equation, but I encourage you to go down that route. Awesome. So, all right. Part one, principles. Part two, just busting up some common misconceptions in our culture. And for the next like 10 minutes or so, we're going to get into part three here. And what we want to do is just to give some practical stuff beyond the theory. Let's get into it. Tip number one, just kind of a best practice. Be honest with yourself. And so, Eric, you've got, when, when you walk with people through just financial health, you kind of think about a couple of categories. Tell us about that. Sure. Those. Every financial journey, every journey period has a starting point. Your starting point is where you are now. Some of you might find yourself in what I would call crisis. That means that you are deep in debt. You might even have creditors calling you. I mean, there just isn't enough money to cover everything. You're actually using one credit card to cover another credit card's payment. That is stressful. And if you find yourself in that situation, I really encourage you to speak with pastor or one of the other pastors, somebody on the team. We have some resources that can truly help you and you don't have to try to climb that mountain of debt by yourself or dig out of that hole. And the next category I'd say is you're getting by. This is the old living paycheck to paycheck. You're doing fine, but if you missed a paycheck, you would really be hurting, the stress levels would uh, go off. Um, so you're getting by, but you're not really experiencing that joy-filled life that you long for. Uh, you probably don't have any long-term plan. The next stage, I would say, we'll, we'll describe as being comfortable. You've either paid down your debt or you're actively paying it down. You have some surplus income. You have a long-term plan. You probably are giving some. And you're thinking to yourself, life is good. This is kind of what I worked for in budgeting and trying to get to this point. I am comfortable. And we tend to think that that's where we want to be. This is where, where we where put the halo. Stop. Right. That's yep. where we put the halo and say, that's good financial stewardship. I kind of pause and say, it looks good numbers wise, but it doesn't reflect the heart. You can be financially in great shape and not have a great healthy heart. And so that's our fourth category is being healthy, thinking spiritually healthy. You can be financially healthy without being spiritually healthy. What's the difference? Spiritually healthy simply acknowledges that everything I have came from God. He's the owner. I'm the steward. I need to keep his best interests in mind. And I truly am trying to use everything for his glory. It's awesome. Awesome. So that's the first one. Just know where you sit. Second tip for you just to get you started, is to get educated about money. So I did, um, I came across a survey in kind of preparation for this message where um, 80 business leaders, lead pastors, seminary professors, financial advisors, leaders within the church were asked, how well do you think we're doing in the church about educating people about money? Out of eight of them, 
Eight of, sorry, 80, 80 of them. Guess how many said we're doing a good job? One. <laughs> and I'm looking at I'm like, telling. yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that. And so um, I want to I point you to, to a couple of things. First off, you've heard us talk about Financial Peace University. Um, and again, like it's not this perfect like do everything thing. But if you are in crisis mode or if you're in like this just getting by mode, this is going to give you the tools that you need just to get up and running and just to start to think about your money differently. And so it starts February 6th. It's coming up. Um, Eric, you have a couple other resources that you, you recommend for education. Sure. One of the books you're going to see on the screen is called True Riches. Um, let me talk about that one in a second. But the same two authors that wrote True Riches, their first book was a 2016 release called God and Money, one of the absolute best books on getting developing a Christian biblical worldview of money and the care of God's resources. Absolutely a life changer to me. Um, that one I would recommend for education. True Riches is fantastic. Um, having read the first one, I knew that this one was coming out. I got on a pre-order. I couldn't wait for the book to come. It comes. I start reading it. I'm like, my goodness, I'm so excited. I'll probably read this in one night. After I read the first chapter, I said, slow down. I think I just want to take one chapter at a time, and I want to ponder what he says for a solid week. Then I read the next chapter, and then I started realizing this is ideal for small group studies. It's actually well set up for that. And I know we as elders went through this book a couple of years ago, and I think one of the wise, I think the story is told to me, she read it and asked her husband, why have we never been told this stuff before? Yep. It goes back to education. Tremendous resources. Yep. So that could be a first step for you. Another one, and this, this maybe a lot of you are doing this, I don't know, but, but tip number three is you need to build a budget. You need to build a budget. Um, a survey came out by Gallup not too long ago that one in three Americans live by a personal budget. And can one. I add, 95% of Americans believe budgeting is important. Yeah. So, like, but we, one out of three actually do it. We've got this like, massive disconnect, like, oh, yeah, I'm in, but I don't do anything about it, right? There's this wonderful proverb that we won't go into for time's sake. It says, know well the condition of your flocks. So none of us are sheep farmers or goat farmers. What he means by that is know what's going on. Um, lack of intentionality now leads to lack of opportunity later. And so we have to build a budget. Intentionality is good for you. You were designed to know what's going on. And I think the thing that, that strikes me about this, this is true no matter where you are on the income scale. I, I remember when, when Mandy and I were, um, the first six years of our marriage, we were faith-supported missionaries. And so... All of our income was dependent on the giving of God's people. And so we're like, oh, my gosh, we've got to figure out budgeting because we didn't, like, have two nickels to rub together. So we're, uh. And then as you move through life, like, yes, you're getting more wealth. And so the temptation is to go, oh, well, maybe I just don't need to budget anymore. But that's not exactly true, right? Yeah, we would say everybody, being a good steward, you need to budget. And realistically, the hardest part to budgeting is sticking with it. Yeah. And so people ask me, you know, how do you budget? How do you track it and so forth? You can do the paper and pencil and collect receipts. I've done that method. Um, there are apps now that are on your phone. Why uh, NAB? You need a budget is a popular one that I know people use. I think Dave Ramsey has one every dollar. Um, the frustrating thing to some people is when they get on budget, they really are trying to pair expenses, and they're like, and you want me to pay a monthly subscription for this app? <laughs> that, this is the whole idea, right? But it's probably well worth, I don't know, $5 a month or something. Um, 
You can do another way, and, and I brought this as a visual aid. For years, my wife and I, we were on kind of that very tight income. We used the cash system envelopes. This is just an accordion-style envelope thing, and we have tabs in here, and we would stuff this with cash after every paycheck, and you didn't have to save receipts. If you go and you want to eat out and there's no money in there, you obviously have already spent your eating out money. You better eat at home that night. It makes tracking very, very easy. And this, like... I want you to hear, this is not being prescriptive. There is no one size fits all. We're all in different yep. places. And so you just have to find what works for you and be intentional about it. All right. Practical so, tips for budgeting? Yeah, go for it. Uh, number one, just write down your income. I think right now would be a good time to budget for the month of February. Figure out what your anticipated income is. Then if you really don't have a good idea where your money's going, look at, say, the last three months of expenses. Go into your bank online and look at all the transactions. Where's the money going? And start estimating expenses. Um, we have tools. We usually categorize expenses. We have some tools, some handouts that if you see Pastor Brandon, he's got some handouts that have categories, really a nice jump start to helping with that. One of the principles I really stick with in budgeting that I want you to remember is pay God first, give Pay yourself second, save, pay down debt, things like that. Three, pay bills last. The world tries to tell us just the, uh, the opposite. Fund your lifestyle first. If you have anything left at the end of the month, that would probably be good to save it. And giving, give if it makes you feel good about yourself. Interesting how it's just a complete opposite. Pay God first, pay yourself second, and pay bills last. Love that. Um, leads to tip number four. And this one is ask better questions. So um, I remember, again, this is kind of a little sob story. When Mandy and I were first married, we, we, walked, we went to a used car lot, and we, we signed a, a, a car deal. Uh, oh, gosh, what was it? The interest rate was 21.5%. And we're like, sounds good to us, right? Because we were young and dumb. And, well, younger and dumber. <laughs> so, um, but we just didn't know. And so I think the common questions most people ask um, because, again, financial management is, is caught more than it is taught, the common question is, what do I want, how much down, and how much per month? It's incredibly short-sighted. And so the better questions, rather than can I afford it, how can I make it work, how can I find the money, right? Better than that, ask questions like, what do I want my life to be about? What will this thing that I'm about to buy allow me or prevent me from doing? What, what will God, like what is on the other side of this purchase that I can see? Why is it important to ask these, these kind of questions? Well, and really you do well to establish some life goals, whether you're a single individual, a married couple, and if you can identify life goals, what is your life about? Then whenever you consider a purchase, you can ask that better question to say, how will this purchase help me achieve that goal? Is it a building block to that, or is it a hindrance? Is it a hurdle, right? Um, when I get my paycheck, my name's on it. It goes into a checking account with my name on it. The checks, the debit card, the credit cards, they all have my name on them on how I can spend it. The message is loud and clear. It's my money. And so we tend to ask, I wonder what I want to do with my money. A better question is, I wonder what God would have me do with his money. The similarity in the questions are there because it's all talking about intentionality, right? But the slight difference is who owns it. And because of that slight difference, it yields a profoundly different answer and outcome. And that's why we encourage people, ask better questions. I love that. Let's take a sidebar. We got two more tips really quick. 
advice for the married people in the room, because finances are always tough to manage. They're tougher when you're married. It just gets more complicated. So I got three quick questions for okay. you. Separate checking accounts. Rapid fire. I strongly support sharing, merging your finances. I think when you have separate accounts, your marriage is built on trust, and I think you're inviting suspicions and doubt, because inevitably it's like, I wonder if she's spending her money the way she said. Is she storing, is she hiding something? Is she keeping a secret? I think you invite doubt. Yeah. I like combined shared checking Super accounts. Super good. How about like the advice on somebody, is there somebody in a marriage who manages the day-to-day -day stuff and then like the big high-level, big picture stuff? Yes, I think typically one spouse typically handles the month-to-month, -month, week week-to-week management bill paying. I think that's great but sometimes they then take it upon themselves to set the budget and define the priorities. And I think big picture in a married couple, both need to have a say and a part in defining what's important. How are we making decisions when there's not enough money to do everything we want? How do we make those decisions? Both spouses need to be in on that. Right on. Last question for the married. Advice for online banking, because mm -hmm. so much is done online with passwords and stuff. Help us out with that one. Yeah, and this is timely because of some of the recent events just this month, right, with people in our congregation. Um, I, I like to ask people, if you pass away today, does your family know where to find your usernames, your passwords, your security questions, your two-factor authentications. And think about this, two-factor authentication is interesting. Someone passes away, can you get into their phone? Because a lot of times they're gonna send a text message to that phone, sure. and if you don't have that, you can't get into the website, right? Think about online resources. Have you prepared your family that they can pick up where you left off with online access? Think about the financials, but also think about other things that you do online that would have importance. Do you store photos online? Do they know the passwords and usernames to that? Do they have any income coming from iTunes or eBay or things like that? Can they get access to those accounts? Make sure in this digital age, you're leaving that trail for, the, for who comes behind. I think that's super helpful because again, it's, it's about trust, it's about openness. So last point, I'm just gonna hit this one for the sake of time and then we'll have to wrap up for this morning. Um, sorry, we had to like shoehorn so much stuff in here for today. So thanks for rolling with us. This last tip is to talk about money. And, and here's this one. And I think this is especially true if you're married, but even if you're not. Idol killing 101. You have to talk about your idols before you realize that they're actually there. And so like I'm, I'm coming to you as one potential idolater to another potential idolater. It's easy to look at our stuff and go, man, we're doing good. Easy to look at that bank account and go, yeah, right? Or go, oh, no. I don't have, you know, statues of Baal in my living room. Neither do you. We don't have Asherah poles in the backyard. Neither do you. But before you kill your idols, you've got to confront your idols. Before you confront your idols, you've got to acknowledge your idols. And so when you talk about these things and just get this thing out of the shadows and into the light, you empty it of its power over you. It's true of so many things in life. It's definitely true of these things um, around money and finances. And so um, we got to wrap up. I can't believe our time flew. Eric, thank you so much, man. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, let me pray. And um, where we're going to go, just so you know, we're going to close by singing a song. It's super intentional why we chose it. 
Um, it's this old, old, old song. It's been around for a long time. It's just called the doxology. A lot of you know it. Hope you know it. There's this great line in there. It just says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it's this reminder that he owns everything. He controls everything. And that includes our lives. So with that, let's pray together before we sing. Lord, we do love you. We say thank you so much for all the things that you have given us, the life that you've given us. Lord, we say thank you so much that you are interested in more than our bank account. You are interested in our heart. And while we live in a world, Lord, that says what you make matters, all the outside stuff, that you love us enough to pursue us, to send your son here, to change us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So, Lord, we need your wisdom. We recognize that you are the giver of all things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.